it's not often asked, but that's something that I would definitely ask. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas, and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now, here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello, and welcome to episode 94 of the show. Thanks for joining me. How are you going? Keeping well? Projects ticking along? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Things are pretty good in Melbourne, apart from the weather. It's been a bit up and down, which makes construction challenging at times. But things move along. Got a great show coming up for you today. We're going to be talking about selling off the plan. Just before we get to that, here's a quick project update for you. Uh, Things are continuing with the frames on site at Cambridge Road, which is good. We've now finished the ground level brickworks on eight of the 14 units and it's looking really good. And the scaffolding is going up so that work can start on the upper levels, which will be good to see. On my other project, we are in the final stages of our planning application we finalised the design and we're just making some finishing touches to the report to ensure that we present the strongest possible application. So it'll be good to get that in and see how we go. A couple of quick announcements before we get to our guest for today. Don't forget the property developer training is available if you're interested in learning how to become a property developer. You can head to propertydevelopertraining.com. There's now two trainings there, which is awesome value. You've got the original property developer training and the taking it to the next level training for those wanting to go bigger and full time. So even more value for you in the training. You can grab a copy of my book, Become a Million Dollar Property Developer at propertydeveloperpodcast.com forward slash book. Contains a lot of the big lessons that I've learned in my developing career and might be helpful for you if you're considering getting into property development. And there's also the quiz if you want to find out how ready you might be to become a developer. And you can take that at propertydevelopertraining.com forward slash quiz. And finally, don't forget you can catch me on Insta and Facebook under the handle of Property Developer Podcast if you want to see how my projects are progressing. Okay, on to today's guest, Ben Kong from Chisholm and Gaiman. Ben has been working in property sales for the last couple of decades, mainly selling off the plan property. So he brings a wealth of experience to this conversation and lots of practical tips for your next sales campaign. We talk about how you can seek out the best agent to help market and sell your project, the importance of pricing and monitoring the response of the market to your campaign, and the importance of understanding who your likely buyer is and what they actually want from a property. Keep an ear out for Ben's thoughts on what kinds of issues can come up in a design that may put buyers off. This is another great conversation about selling off the plan. So let's kick off by finding out what Ben's favourite meal is. I think it would have to be uh, some form of Italian, maybe a, a pasta dish. Yeah, you need to be a bit more specific than that. I'll, I'll go with tortellini bolognese. Oh, simple? Yep. It's been a favourite uh, since I was a kid and it never seems to change, always delivers. 
uh, is this something that you can punch out yourself or is it something that you get at a restaurant? Uh, de- definitely like making the bolognese sauce, um, but I have never bothered to take it to the um, to the level of producing the pasta. Too easy to buy. Oh, yes. And have you got a secret bolognese recipe? Yeah, I think mine is it's all about good produce um, and blending um, multiple meats. So veal, pork and beef mince. Ooh, a triple play. Yes. Oh, I haven't <laughs> heard about that before. Well, maybe we can do a cooking segment uh, next time. Oh, that would be quite popular. The property podcast goes cooking. Flush food. <laughs> well, here we are again talking about property. And in this episode, we're going to cover off selling off the plan. You have a lot of experience doing project sales. But before we get to that, give us a bit of a rundown about yourself and how you ended up in property. Yeah, good good question. Um, I've been in the industry for almost 30 years now and, and mainly off the plan sales. Um, but it actually started quite by accident. I was working up at Mount Hotham and uh, I had three, three roles. So I, I used to work in the bar a couple of nights a week. Um, I worked in skier services and my, my main role was working at ski school. Um, so I was a pretty visible person up on the hill and I used to get a lot of clients on chairlift rides. You know, you can't talk skiing all day. Um, and they would often ask, oh, you know, what's going on up here with property? Um, and that was a time when Hoffman had just been purchased um, by BCR Asset Management and their grand plan was to basically turn it into uh, a super resort and take it from club lodges to, you know, premium economy um, and accommodation. And so I got to know the local agent up there and he he basically said, look, you, you're crazy. Why don't you finish out this season doing what you're doing? But, you know, learn the role through me and come and work with me. So that's how it all started. And, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great way to... I suppose be a pretty visible person in that in that arena, um, but also it was it was quite isolated, so there wasn't a lot of competition. We we basically had all the developments, so yeah, it felt like it was certainly mine to to stuff up. <laughs> um, I've been up to Potham and been skiing there before, and I don't recall seeing a real estate agency up there in the village, but perhaps I've mistaken. Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely Castron um, still to this day. They're very prolific um, across really Hotham and, and Bull in particular. But um, yeah, you, you're probably right. The, the main thing was not to have boards everywhere. Um, and yeah, we used to do a lot basically through the office, but certainly database. And so talk us through those first few years. What, what kind of projects were you doing? What were you doing? What did you learn? Yeah, so there were there were two apartment projects. Um, one was uh, basically the add-on to the Zerkes building. Um, and then the second one was White Crystal, which was essentially a totally new build, which um, was, it's really the super centre up there. So everything is in the base of the building. Um, so restaurants, cafes, um, ski school, uh, ticketing, you name it, it's there. Um, retail components as well, and then apartments above. And then um, on the top of the basin site there, the freestanding chalets, known as the Hoffman Heights chalets. So they, they are all 
basically three and four bedroom freestanding homes. Yeah, so yeah, what was it? It was probably around a hundred uh, individual sales in in that time. We were very well backed. Um, we had the ability to work from the hill or or from Melbourne. So we had a, an, an office in Melbourne in St. St Kilda Road, and we had the ability uh, for properly vetted clients to fly them up via either plane or helicopter, um, which was quite an experience in itself. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was uh, on-site selling largely through the season and at you know prolific times such as an Easter or maybe a Christmas where you have a lot of holiday makers up in the area, um, and then the rest of the time it was done from from Melbourne and and with the use of the helicopter. Well, a young salesperson, Ben, must have been thinking pretty uh, highly of themselves on a helicopter ride up to Hotham from Melbourne. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, it it was uh, it was a great start into to selling because you were so focused. Like, can you imagine sitting in a helicopter for? Uh, best part of an hour and a half with um, a group of guests that all don't potentially know each other. You've got to keep it upbeat and pacey, and so you're a bit of a tour guide as much as as a you know real estate salesperson. Um, so you've all got headgear on, and you know, like it was a it was a little bit like this. You know, you're, you're very good at prompting me with these questions, and and I had to do the same with them. Well, you certainly had a captive audience. Good, yeah. good time to get the sales presentation rolling. Yes, they 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 certainly spent the day with you. Um, so there was none of this kind of rocking up to an inspection and leaving after five minutes. You were often in a car to Essendon Airport, um, and then well, we actually had the luxury of flying out of um, from Melbourne High often or or Burnley um, golf course. So yeah, but you you certainly had a, a focused day with the group. And how long were you doing that for? So I was in that system um, for about five years. Yeah, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was basically looking after. We used to do a lot of coastal as well. So um, areas like Lawn, we did the Erskine House um, development there with them also. And what did you learn in that five years? Uh, a lot about design, a lot about specification, materiality, um, and and of course construction because. You know, with these off-the-plan sales, you it's one thing to get someone through to a contract, um, but then you've got to, you know, keep them informed during the course of the build um, and then actually take them through at settlement stage and point out to them what they've, what they've purchased. And what about learning about buyers, off-the-plan buyers? Yeah, yeah, you, you do learn a lot about them. You learn about, um, you know, how serious they are pretty quickly. Um, you, you have to learn about their needs, whether they're buying purely for investment or if it's something that they're going to live in as an owner-occupier. Um, you, you get quite a mix of emotions and, and needs across both of those types of buyers. You know, some people are, are very interested in the detail and, and some are more big picture. Um, and I think you learn about people's attention spans a lot also because um, I think I like to start a lot of my presentations with the question, you know, how long, you know, how long do you see this taking? Like, have you allocated half an hour or are you happy to sit here for an hour? Because, you know, some people certainly um, require a pacier presentation. Very true. Well, let's continue on. What happened after that? Give us, continue on your potted history of 
work yeah, experience? So, um, I think the next move was um, was very interesting for me when we when we were selling Zerkies. That was built by the Glenville Group, so I was getting all these great connections, um, you know, during the course of, of of learning the trade. And um, Len Watson, who is the uh, the owner and head of Glenville, he he said, "Look, I think you'd be great doing design construct work." Um, with with him so i went to glenville for um actually about the same time i was there for about five years and that was working um so totally off the plan um but you're working with basically clients that have already commissioned or purchased a block so it was about designing and specifying a full house from the ground up um so you would be involved with organizing demolition of the existing home and then what you could actually or could or couldn't put on the on the block. Um, and it was it was very broad. It was basically every aspect of a home. Um, and you were you're also overseeing landscaping, pools, really the whole venture. So that was an incredible learning space. Is that just for single dwellings? Um, yeah, largely. I did have a couple of duplex jobs in there and because that company was so broad, they had a special projects um, division. We even had one client come in that um, built the Bass Coast Golf Resort um, just down at San Remo. So, yeah, I think, you know, the smallest um, smallest job I worked on might have been a, a build cost. Um, we're, we're going back 20 years here where you could build a house um, a reasonable house for three hundred thousand, and I think the highest build costs were around the kind of two million dollars, and that used to that used to get you a you know a forty square home built in largely in uh, kind of Stonington or Burundara or Bayside with a with a with a basement and a lift, and that's probably double now. And then I think the golf resort was um, you know that was like a sixteen million dollar build, you know, so there was quite a quite a range of work there. You're lucky to get a front door for three hundred thousand these days. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and then where to? You what it yourself, Justin? That sounds like. Oh yeah, then it's only two fifty. Yeah. Uh, then what? Then what happened? Um, from there, I went and worked with the uh, Look Property Group, and you know, from from that stage through to where I am now, it's all been um, off the plan sales, um, and where I am now with Chisholm Game, and I'm very privileged to be able to work as much on established as, as off the plan um, because, you know, with with COVID, I think we all had to be extremely adaptable um, and and working in the position that I have here, I can, I can certainly do both. Yes, well, you were there working with a, an old friend of the show, Sam Gaiman, who was actually one of the very, very first guests that I had on the podcast. A great man, yes. Yeah. Yep, good guy, a good friend of mine. Uh, and so what is it about off-the-plan selling that has kept your interest and that you enjoy? Uh, I think I always liked the idea of setting up for a campaign and the ability that you would get multiple sales out of it. There's Look, there's certainly more work in setting up an off-the-plan venture as opposed to a, a one-off house or apartment or whatever it be. But I think I liked, um, I still do enjoy the, the scale that you can get. Um, you can only sell a, a house, you know, once, um, whereas we can set up with our um, townhouse and apartment developments and, 
you know, if, if, if we're good at what we're doing, we can sell 10 or 20 with these boutique, boutique projects in, you know, hopefully a space of three or 12 months. And so what is it about the setting up of the campaigns that you like to focus on uh, and that you find most interesting or inspiring? I, th- I think um, all the elements are probably as important, but I, I think getting the renders um, right is is probably the most important because that's that picture that tells um, our clients, uh, you know, what, what they're looking at. I think floor plans will excite people you know, to a certain degree, and it's more about the, you know, the, the relevance of the floor plan, but the actual visual, you know, what does this building look like? What does the bathroom look like? What does the kitchen look like? The spaces, um, you know, the the gardens, how it's all put together, ultimately is what makes someone, you know, press a button to go further or, you know, pick up the phone to, to, to book that appointment to come and see us. Yeah, it's a part of the process that I have a particular interest in the selling bit. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Mm. Well, we can we can organize that fly on the wall if you want to you can sit in on some presentations if you ever want to or come along to any nights we ever have. Oh, I'd love to be on a, a CCTV camera in a agent's meeting on one of my projects with a prospect and just what are the questions you get asked? What are the answers that get given? It's just, you can't really get that info unless you're in the room. Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, I, I think for um, for anyone, you, when you're doing multiple presentations of, of the one product or, you know, development, not every presentation has to be the same. Mm. You know, so if you're someone that's naturally aggressive, you can pull back and see how it goes for you. And, and vice versa, if you're naturally someone that's a bit timid, go your hardest and just see how it, see how it goes. You know, like I, I, I was um, mentored down that way early in my career and I thought, think it was the best thing that was ever suggested to me was, you know, with every second phone call, um, say, oh, so Justin, would, would you like to come in for a presentation? And then the next Justin... Justin, what I need you to do is meet me tomorrow at five o'clock. I've got half an hour spare, you know, and just see what works because mm-hmm. they they do both work. Yeah. But you know, you get a, you you learn the efficiencies of being politely forward and kind of committing people to to a schedule. Oh, like the number I always marvel at the number of phone calls that um, that get made and the uh, the level of rejection that agents have to deal with yeah um no i mean i don't mean that in a kind of it's not a personal well it shouldn't be personal but the fact is most uh most of your meetings or presentations don't necessarily end up in a sale no no i mean and we're emotional beasts as well like you have to know how you feel on a day you know like if i if i'm feeling um you know, a bit washy, I'm not going to make um, 50 phone calls where I should be feeling really upbeat because I just won't be as good in them. Yeah. You know, so you've got to, you've got to kind of make your mark. Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting business, but it must be very exhilarating to get those sales. It is, and it, it's funny, I'm, I'm 51 and I, I was talking with my partner about this. I still, you know, I had an off-the-plan um, sale sign up two days ago you know 
over 3.2 million and and I was and forget the dollar amount if it was 600,000 I was actually still just as pumped as you know my first 10 sales you know it's still it's still a buzz and a, and a feeling and emotion that, that sits in you and um, yeah it's exciting well if you're the architect uh, I don't mean that in development sense, but in, in an architect of a campaign, and you put it all together, and then it comes to fruition. There's a a deep sense of satisfaction with that strategy working, where you end up with that sale. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, you could could not be true a word. And so, when you're actually prior to preparing the campaign, when you have a developer come and talk to you about a prospective project what are the things that you're looking for in that developer slash client before you even take them on or get excited about their potential project yeah it's a good question i mean we 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 get um we get a great mix you know sometimes they come in and they've actually done all the work and they're basically saying this is ready to go um what do you think about pricing what can we get you know how are you going to stage it um, what mediums you're going to use, but they're, they're actually ready to go. Um, so that's good in it that it's very efficient for us. Um, on the other side, it's it's nice when you are involved right from the infancy because you can take more ownership of how well um, the whole venture ultimately goes. So, you know, we often have our core developers that we actually help choose sites so that they mightn't have even purchased the site yet. So you can look at it um, and really profile the site and the development. So, you know, will it be townhouses? Will it be apartments? How many are you going to actually put on there? Um, price point, product mix. Um, and then you're, of course, involved in the design and the specification part of it. That is definitely my my passion, that part. I, I love design. And what does that stem from? And what does that actually mean, design? Uh, where does it stem from? We in our um, family group, we have a lot of um, architects and, and designers as, as friends and, and in our family. And I think I've always looked at them as really interesting people. Um, I don't, you know, it was probably the same for you. You looked at your parents' friends and thought, all right, that looks like fun, maybe not so. <laughs> and yeah, they always looked uh, very stylish um, and they, they looked like their day job was something that you know, had great appeal to me. And so what are the elements of design now that you see as cornerstones or that underpin the projects that you like to work on? Uh, yeah, that's a, that is a great question. I, I think the biggest thing is getting the, the flow and the ratios, the proportions of, of whatever it is, the house, the, the townhouse or the apartment um, correct. We... We see a lot, um, a lot of products where, you know, it might have bedroom accommodation and bathroom accommodation for, you know, two, three, four um, bedrooms. But if you look at the living space or if you look at the kitchen, um, it, it just wouldn't work if you had that many people living in that environment. So, yeah, I think that's hugely important, and and really understanding who is it that's going to buy what what you're actually marketing. Um, you know, if you we, we largely deal with um, boutique projects and I'd say at least 50% of those projects are, are downsizers. So you're talking about a, a couple. Um, so do they need three and four bedrooms? Potentially not. 
you know, two bedrooms with a flexi room, like a study or a multi-purpose room, whatever you want to call it, that works really, really well. Um, but what they're what they're ultimately looking for is is a kitchen and a living space with similar volume to what they're used to, so that they can still have all their friends over, entertain um, in a comfortable manner. Yeah, so I think ratio and 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 flow of, of the designs is super important. So the earlier that a developer can engage with an agent, the better, is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, I think I think so for sure because um, you can easily sit down uh, with an architect or uh, you know someone in design and tell them what you want. Um, they aren't necessarily at all involved in how marketable it is or how well it sells or how appropriate it is to an area. They may just sit down and design to the brief, and it's not necessarily going to work. Um, I suppose, you know, and trust me, I'm not at all saying here that the real estate agent is the most important part of the process, but we are potentially involved from the start to the finish. Um, so, you know, look, if I'm the one that has to sell it, you know, I do, I do like to be involved in that part of the process. It's actually a really key position in a project and often one position that you have as a developer limited management and control over the person that's doing it if it's a outside agency or person that's selling on your behalf correct um you know i've certainly had uh, both in-house roles as well as agency roles um and within house um well i worked with neo metro for five years and um you know they do incredible products and they are a, a developer that actually design and build their own work um, yeah, so they they really enjoyed having control over all aspects of of the venture. Yeah, I've often said I would love to be able to be a fly on the wall in some of those sales presentations, meetings for um, some of my off the plan sales to know what the agents are actually telling people. Yeah, well, that that's the thing. If you are if you are very trusted and if you've been well vetted. They know your style already. Um, they've often mystery shopped you. Um, they've had recommendations around you from industry people. So, you know, they know whether you're the type of person that gets to know the, the project intimately and can sell the benefits um, of it or if you're, you know, conversely the other side that will just wing it and say whatever it takes. Um, and, you know, probably most people fall in, in the middle. But, uh, yeah, look... You either get scripts and dialogues where you're asked to only say certain things. Um, I think in many ways that makes that very easy for agencies. They can just say, all right, look, Justin, stick to this. Um, or, you know, you can be given that 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 real estate artistic licence um, if you're trusted to, to, to sell it the way you see it. Yeah, it's funny you talk about product knowledge because I'm forever surprised at, and this is a broad general statement, just the limited understanding of the product that agents are selling and this often applies just to existing real estate. But you think you're selling a million-dollar-plus property and you don't know how many bathrooms it's got. You ring them up and you ask them questions and they don't know some of the basic stuff about this very expensive product. And you think, if I went to a phone store, they would 
actually the salespeople there know more about the thousand dollar product than you know about this million dollar product. Yeah, it, it, look, it, it is it is very true. I think if you're if you're buying something <clears throat> that you can sit in and stand in and touch and feel, um, you know, it's much more onerous on the on, on the purchaser, I suppose, to make those decisions. And if you're lucky to have, enough to have someone there that can point out all the benefits and how things work, you know, that that works very well together. But you certainly um, with project selling if you if you don't know the way something's put together if you don't know the brands if you don't know the specifications um you know we we really do have to know and be across um every part of what you're selling yeah i think it's such a symbiotic relationship between the developer and the salesperson because as you say you're actually through a fair bit of the project particularly the meaty bit from the pre-sales through construction to then settlement and your reputation the the agent i mean their reputation is on the line maybe even more so than the developer in some respects because in many ways they're they're the face they're the the front front the front office yeah it's very it's very true um with the boutique developments you'll often um after you've had multiple meetings you will have an introductory meeting where they want to meet someone from the development team or perhaps the architect or, you know, whatever it is, it's different with each client. Um, but there are many where you are you are the face of that sale, of that apartment, townhouse, the whole way through. And so when a developer is considering or vetting or looking for a potential agent for their project, what do you recommend that they look for? I think you would have to, um, you know, look at some form of track record. You'd, you'd want to look at experience, how long you've been in the game for, um, success of projects that you've worked on, price point of projects, you know, that you've worked on. Um, there's no point in engaging someone that largely sells investor-grade stock to do high-end owner-occupier and, and vice versa. And one thing that I think is important with anything in life, with any um, anyone that you're engaging, is what are you working on currently, and what time will we be able to dedicate to my project? And which should be what? How much time do you reckon an agent should be spending? I, I think you need to strike that balance individually between agent and and developer. Um, you know, if they've got you know, a small development, say, you know, six townhouses or apartments to, to sell, you're obviously not going to be having, you know, half a day every day on, on that. Um, but it's, it, I suppose it comes down to inquiry levels and how the inquiry is handled, how, how they like it to be handled. And then you, um, you can kind of format from that how much time you need to have available. But it, look, it is interesting. It's, it's not often asked. But that's something that I would definitely ask. And what about how you make a project stand out in a crowded marketplace? There's, um, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a great question. We we find um, that a lot of the specifications um, facades you know, they do look very similar. So it's. I always think it comes down first and foremost to the site that you've bought. So if you can spruik that you've got the premier position, I think that always puts you ahead of the pack. 
um, but but very much pricing. Um, you can you obviously have to you know adhere to to margins so that the the whole venture is profitable and worthwhile. Um, but you also need to kind of meet the market in some form as well. So it's that it's that balance of making the the product appetising enough. Um, but also so that the developer is going to have the success they need as well. And so what are those sort of levers that you pull to make it appetizing? Well, you can fluctuate, uh, you can fluctuate, sorry, pricing. So you can start off with a price point to, um, you know, get some sales in the market and, and early because people do like to buy products that they see other people have bought. Um, you know, it's a hey, calling it sheep or herd mentality, but, you know, as humans, we feel safer when we know someone else is committed to something. So I think getting your entry-level pricing at the start of a project so that it looks appetising and someone actually wants to commit because as you have more success during the course of, of the sales campaign, you can always fluctuate and influence your pricing up or vice versa if it's very slow and you, you maybe started too high. Um, you'll find yourself in a position where you either have to look at different different funding models or, or or lowering prices to get the sales. Yes, actually, that's a point I remember Sam making when I spoke to him all those years ago. Just that importance of the opening pricing um, model or pricing level. Yeah, it's really important to get that right when you're starting off for your campaign. Yeah, absolutely. And look at. Um, <clears throat> You're going to have many pricing meetings before you actually go to market with your leading leading prices. But if you have a campaign and you get some success, um, you know, with inquiry instantly, and if in one weekend you had, you know, just say you're selling 10 houses, if you had um, 10 people say, all right, I want to pay a reservation, it, you know, perhaps you were a bit light on price. And so as, as the uh, success is coming in, you can easily call, um, you know, it's the opposite of a crisis meeting. It's an early success meeting. You can easily say, look, Justin, I think you need to get in here. We've had five presentations today. They all um, want to be in. You know, do you, do you think we should put the pricing up a little? So yeah, you, you've always got that ability to to move quickly. Uh, those phone calls, unfortunately, come few and far between. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't had to make too many either. <laughs> But it's always there. It's always there. <laughs> and in terms of some of the tactical measures that you can use in a launch or to generate excitement, you got any go-tos? Uh, it's it's interesting. I end up doing a lot of one-on-one appointments because I'm I'm largely on boutique developments. But um, having opening nights, opening launches where you invite multiple people along. It, it, look, it was something that was impossible in COVID. Everything had to be one-on-one, and we're now in a in a, a flexible space, you know, where we we can still do that. But I think a lot of people still, you know, like to to have a one-on-one. But it always worked well uh, previously. Just having launch nights where you would have multiple people in a room at once presenting to a group, where um, everyone can you know, sign contracts or put down res- reservations straight away. So it, it builds um, competition and, and FOMO. Yes, yeah, some social proof. Yeah. Yeah, and then the other, the, the next trigger is a, a, a time frame on a reservation. 
So, you know, typically we're not asking someone, um, you know, to sign a contract straight away. We're, we're normally giving a, a three, five, seven, whatever it day, whatever number of days that's agreed to reservation period. So it just means that you can have your week to, to properly consider um, without feeling too much pressure before you commit. But certainly at the end of that reservation period, if you can't make your commitment, you have to deal with, as the potential purchaser, you have to deal with the fact that you might miss out on that apartment or townhouse. And then talking about responding to market conditions at the time of recording, we're in a softening market. So what's your advice to people out there who might be trying to sell stuff off the plan in a market where it's soft well what we're what we're saying is that the projects that are in the ground are are obviously gold because with um building prices as they are at the moment land prices you know really aren't coming back at all it's actually more and more expensive to put a project to to market and for it to be viable so um as as much as it's a, a you know potentially a softening market in certain areas um if you want these new uh, developments, you you still have to pay the price that, that you're marketing at in this market. But you are, I think your competition is less, um, and you know we we feel like you're going to see less projects actually going to market. So I think the pricing of what what's on currently, um, you know, is is probably right. And so what it's just focusing more on future value during a sales um, presentation. Yeah, look, I think it's future value, but also that the product is going to be scarce. You know, there there aren't going to be. I mean, Melbourne's been mad over the last three decades with with projects, but you know, they're they're probably um, you know, well, they're definitely less going to market already. Um, so it, it's a bit more unique. Yeah, I definitely think there are people struggling to get projects out of the ground. So if they're not already started, they're going to be delayed by however long so i think in sort of 12 to 18 months there's going to be a bit of a shortage of supply particularly in melbourne maybe sydney as well yeah i agree um it's it's uh it's interesting i was, I was thinking about questions that you might ask me today and <laughs> thanks for sending the list through that you did but um you know questions that you would get you know call it 10 years ago were largely around design and you know what finishes you know particularly around marbles and you know what, what tapware is it? I think uh, the you know top of the list of questions at the moment are when when will the development start? When is it most likely to finish? And they really drill down on you know who's the builder, what's the balance sheet look like, how viable you know is this um, you know because owner occupiers want to know an end date for moving in. Yes, they've always been important questions. The start date's obviously pretty critical. I always thought that was that can be challenging for the agent to try and answer and it's not something they have any real control over apart from selling quickly enough to make the pre-sales and then subsequently the end date ones also can be a bit of a challenge when selling off the plan. Yeah, yeah. look, we, we certainly spend a lot of time having to relay our own gut feel on how long it would take to get to 60% or 70% sold to, to commence construction. Um, and, you know, look, that's something that I always was trying to be very, very accurate with. 
and you know largely you know by the number of reservations that you have and you know by the numbers um, of inquiry that are coming in you know what it's going to look like you can kind of extrapolate your your presentations to contracts to numbers of sales um, but it's also great if you have developers and it's only going to happen on smaller projects but if you have developers that actually have um, engaged a funding model where they can start construction um, without the pre-sales that builds an enormous amount of trust in um, not just the development group but obviously the project. And then you touched on staying in contact with buyers after the sale and I reckon this is a big opportunity for a lot of smaller developers out there who might be doing smaller townhouse projects. What do you do along the way in terms of keeping people informed or what do you recommend um, developers do or the agents do to keep people informed? Yeah, so the, the easy one, you know, and once again, these things all come down to, to workload and time management, um, but the easiest is um, like a quarterly EDM, so where you're just sending out a piece um, with maybe it's very easy to go to site and just get the iPhone, um, snap from the front, snap from the back, you know, and if you've got any aerial ability, um, it's pretty exciting to see a hole in the ground, even more exciting to see a basement constructed. But once you're up out of the ground and you can see structure, um, that really makes people feel like, or you can see the shell and the shape of what you're, what you're buying. Um, so that's the easiest is to send out um, EDMs. Um, I'm I'm pretty old fashioned. I like to pick up the phone, and um, and you know I think the best one is you meet down there um, on the Saturday or the Sunday whenever you've finished in your in your sports gear and have a coffee and have a walk around the site with them. Um, if you if you have a developer and a builder that are okay with um, you know maybe one site visit during construction, it, it's often nice you know when you're at frame stage to be able to walk them through a, a shell as well. Yeah, so what I like to do is when I have a monthly uh, on-site meeting with the builder and everyone, uh, yep, I whip the phone out, do a quick um, piece to camera with a 30-second update about what's happening yep. and then shoot some overlay vision just around the site. It's actually really easy to cobble something together and shows exactly what's going on and you can yes. share that with your buyers. doesn't need yeah, to be yeah. a, a Hollywood production. No, exactly, and it just shows that you're there um, regularly as well. We um, so work working with Chisholm Game, and um, you know, ninety percent of what I'm on is within Elwood, and um, you know, the, the furthest away I, I am is South Yarra, and I've got one about to launch in in St Kilda. Um, but it's interesting; I find uh, a, a huge or very high percentage of my buyer group uh, are all very local anyway so it's um it's very easy to well they, they update themselves essentially i um yeah i think if i was in the same scenario I'd, i can't see why i wouldn't want to drive past the site every fortnight yeah well you want to see progress is happening certainly when the de demolition takes place is always pretty exciting and worthy of updating people about yeah ab absolutely yeah. yeah. Look, most of the projects that I'm working on are boutique townhouse projects at the moment, and um, they, you know, they tend to have a basement and three levels or two levels above. So the timeframes for construction are generally, you know, sixteen to eighteen months. So it's it's pretty efficient. 
And then what are you what's happening with some of your clients just with the escalating build costs and uncertainty about the next year or two in relation to sales? Is it a factor? With these, with these off the plan contracts, the price is one hundred percent locked in. Yep. So there's no clause in there for material change, which I know happens with um, house builds. So um, yeah, that I think that would be nervy for a lot of clients, you know, that, that are building homes that, you know, their, their build could end up being, you know, 10% or whatever it is more than what they initially signed in on. Um, but I think that's one of those balances. You, you If you want a fully fr- fixed price um, contract in this day and age, you, you'd almost probably struggle to get a builder, I would imagine, for a, for a house. Um, certainly with the commercial builds, they are set. Yes, it's uh, definitely a challenging time having a project under construction at the moment. I know that it's very fluid in terms of what the final cost is going to be, which can be a bit of a challenge if you're fully sold or 80% sold because you don't have much wriggle room left at the end. No, no, look, it's um, it, it's funny. I don't think too many people feel sorry for real estate agents and certainly not for developers. <laughs> But um, it, it's a, a very tough time for developers in this cycle um, with what's happened with building prices and, and actually getting trades. So um, what we're finding with most of the developers that we work with, they're very programmed with their Gantt charts and they're um, meticulous with pre-ordering in a way that the industry didn't have to be um, pre-COVID. So it's Im- impressive to watch from our end. Yeah, it's good when people are more organised, that's for sure. And I also think for people out there that are maybe smaller developers or developers in general, if they can make it through the next 12 months or so, 18 months or so, uh, there's probably going to be less players in the the market, slightly less competition, I think. Uh, Absolutely. You would imagine that this would have a bit of a Noah's Ark effect for the, um, you know, if you want to call it the mum and dad developer. you know, and 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 some you know professional developers as well. Yeah, so yeah, definitely challenging at the moment. Depending on where you are, every market's different. There's going to be opportunities everywhere, but yeah, overall, definitely a more challenging time than perhaps in the last ten years or so. Definitely, that's okay. We'll move through it. The cycle always uh, keeps moving ahead, and things will change. So Ben it comes down to necessity, that side of it, doesn't it? And um, we've always had the privilege in Melbourne of population growth um, plus immigration. So you would see that to con- be a continuing um, facet for Melbourne property. Oh, the whole country, Australia is young with a growing economy or economy that needs to grow. So people need to the government needs to bring people in to underpin the economy and pay taxes. So uh, Population is going to grow, whether it's by a lot or by a little. It's going to grow. That will be government policy. Totally agree. So, all right, Ben. Well, a man with decades of experience, what is the best piece of advice you think you've picked up along the way? Um, in terms of the what I'm doing trade-wise, I think it's, it is understand what you're working on. You know, know who you're going to be selling to, and if if you can see alarm bells, um, don't be afraid to actually voice your opinion. Because the further you get into a project, it it becomes somewhat too late. 
So I like to um, really back myself in and, and ask the hard questions at the start um, so that it creates a, a smoother um, transition through the rest of the flow of the, you know, the sales campaign and, and obviously getting the sales and construction. Yeah, don't be afraid to ask the hard questions. And what about yourself? What have you learned about yourself over the last decades? Um, From a professional I, perspective, I mean, you can share your private one as well if you wish. I think I, I think I've learned a lot. My um, my dad was uh, or is a very cool cat, and he always said, no matter what you're doing, every decade try and um, incorporate something new, influence something new. Um, he he never changed his profession. He was a doctor, but he he even said, look, you know, why well, think that you should be stuck in the one vocation for the rest of your life? So. I, I love what I do, um, but I certainly um, work on all sorts of different things outside it. Yeah. And I think um, work-life balance is critical. Um, we often in, in real estate end up working um, six and, and seven days. So I think you need to get a, a piece of, of every day in a, in a fashion that suits yourself. Um, you know, for some people that's getting up at four in the morning and getting it done before they start work or you know some it's you know having a run at lunchtime whatever it be but yeah for me um you know I live in a very privileged suburb being in Elwood I'm 200 meters from from the office so it's not difficult to come to work and certainly not difficult to get to my listings um so yeah I, I have no issue working virtually every day but every day I'm also doing something for myself yeah, it's not too difficult to negotiate the traffic if you're 200 metres up the road. Yeah, we're not putting a lot of kilometres on our cars uh, here at this office. Virtually everyone um, lives and works in the postcode. So, you know, it's great. Oh. It affords you a lot more um, efficient time. Oh, well, that's good for your resale value with uh, the price of secondhand cars. So you're doing well there. Uh, how about the skiing? Going back to the beginning, how, are you still skiing? Yes, yeah, it's an absolute um, passion and, you know, which is uh, also a family family passion. So we had uh, four trips up to up to the, the Victorian Alps this season. One of the best I can remember, like it was great from start to finish. So, we yeah, we shot to Buller twice and to Falls Creek twice, yeah, which was fantastic. And I, I know you also did. Yes, just uh, got back from Falls Creek. It was fun up there. I love going up to the high country. And uh, they roll out the red carpet for you when you return to Hotham. Got you know, you've got a penthouse um, apartment there still. It, it's interesting. I do get nicely looked after. Um, but with, with Hotham, you know, stage of my life, I, I was there solidly for 10 years. Um, but when... Uh, my daughters were born. I decided Falls Creek was a, a much more family um, set up resort and a much kinder place to to teach them. So we really have thrown ourselves back into Falls Creek. And when I say kids, they're 19, 19 and 16 now. So, um, you know, not, not kids, but yeah, we're firmly entrenched at Falls, but still, yeah, we still love Hotham. Try and, try and get there every year. Didn't work out this year. <laughs> All right. Well, if people are interested in finding out more about you, Ben, where should they go looking? Uh, just come and see us at, at Chisholm Gaiman. Um, all contacts are on the website um, and uh, my, my mobile and email are very visible, of course. 
All right. Well, any last parting comments or requests before we let you get back to selling off the plan? Um, interest rates uh, to be cut very shortly. Can, can you organise that for me? Uh, <laughs> I thought you were making the bold prediction. <laughs> uh, I, do I do think they'll be cut next year. I think they're lifting them up to then give themselves some headroom to cut next year some buffer yeah no i agree next year i think they'll start to cut it once they've got inflation under control and they realize they need to stimulate the economy again yes which will be great uh, for all and sundry yeah so i think you know, it's just a prediction maybe sort of middle to later half of next year things start to pick up a bit with property values look we um we have seen um We're about to launch some new projects and we've seen the the interest is still very high. Um, So I I think um, if it's bottoming bottoming out soon with with the interest rates, I think we're going to be very busy again next year. Yeah, and I think it depends on who you're dealing with in terms of buyers. So if you're dealing with high-end product with big dollar values, You, I think your buyer demographics going to be a little bit more astute uh, commercially, financially um, than, say, your first homeowner buyer who might be more easily influenced and swayed by what gets published in mainstream media outlets or the sort of the barbecue commentary. So they're different conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think anyone that's that's forty plus, um, you know, rates sitting in in and around six and seven percent. Um, you've been there many times before, and anyone that's um, you know first home buyer up up to you know call it mid thirties, you know, the, it's Nooseville, you know, sitting on six and seven percent. It's the highest it's ever been. You know, they've they've been born into largely, you know. You know, one, two percent. So it, it's big for these guys, but um, yeah, I think it's quite quite acceptable. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I can remember when my wife and I got our home loan under five percent, and we were giving each other high fives. Yeah, broke out the champagne, <laughs> <laughs> and then it went down to whatever it was, one point nine five, so two percent. It's like it's almost free money. It's quite uh, unbelievable. We'll talk about these days uh when we're older remember when the interest rates were 0.25 percent 0.5 percent it's actually quite stunning absolutely yeah all right ben it's been awesome having you on the show been really good talking about selling off the plan it's such a critical piece of a development project so it's always nice to get insight from someone with your level of experience so that people can hone their their campaigns and be well prepared for when they launch to market so that they're having those conversations with the agent about having to increase the prices. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. All right. Thanks for being on the Property Developer Podcast. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.